Psalm 25 and verse 12 simply says, Who is the man that fears the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way he chooses. It's quite a strange thing, but you can have two people in a very similar set of circumstances. Maybe this evening here, there's somebody sat this side, somebody sat this side. And we're in the same tent, we're in the same place, we're hearing the same words being spoken, we're looking at the scriptures together, perhaps uh, we have similar characteristics in our life. Maybe we have the same sort of job and so on. We can have lots and lots of similarities, but suddenly we can find that we can go in divergent directions. And it's very fascinating to be able to think about what it is that causes the differences for these things to happen. Two people in similar circumstances, similar possibilities, similar opportunities, and they can either accomplish good things or evil things. What is it that makes the difference? What is it that would cause one person to follow good things, to bring good things, and another person, the exact same opportunities, maybe even from the same family and so on, and the opposite can be found. Now, I recognize that, um, uh, I was going to ask for a show of hands, does everybody know who Karl, does anybody know who Karl Marx was? Okay, wow, that's great. So Karl Marx uh, was uh, a man who um, lived in London, in the United Kingdom, and uh, he uh, used to go along to the British Library to put together his, uh, his thesis, his studies on what he believed society should look like. Karl Marx basically put together the Communist Manifesto. The word that we use, communism, is something that he had come up with. And he spent all his time thinking to himself, what is it that we can do to make society better? And he came up with various ideas. One of them was to do away with God completely. Because he saw that the problem that people had was their relationship with God. That's what he per perceived was the difficulty. And he felt that uh, religion was simply a mechanism for controlling people. To try and get them to perform, to do, to keep quiet, to follow what was being told to them. And in some respects, there's a possibility that he was right when we talk about religion. But as you know, we're not interested in religion. We're interested in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in the British Library, possibly at the same desk on several occasions, there was another man, and his name was Charles Haddon Spurgeon. And they shared the same desk, perhaps. You could imagine the conversation, couldn't you? I say, could you pass the pencil sharpener? <laughs> Something to that effect. I wonder what they spoke about. Could you imagine that? And there they were. They would have bumped into each other as they were going in and out of the library. Well, what did Karl Marx achieve in his life? Well, he came up with a system called Cal uh, communism. He came up with a system which caused one of the biggest changes in society the world has seen, certainly in recent times. The Soviet Union, the USSR, was created as a result of Marxism. And then Leninism came in and so on. And Stalin, one of the leaders of the USSR, he managed to bring to the end the life of 28 million people as a result of trying to bring in the communist theories and so on. Now that chap Swab, he's recently said that uh, in just a few years time the Christianized West will no longer exist. And he's talking about a very short period of time because there is this drive, this determination to change everything. The very fabric of our society is to be done away with. The concept of people having any understanding or relationship or desire to follow the God of the Bible is alien to them because they do not want to see that. People are going to have own nothing, we're told, and lots of things come. And this is where it all comes from. And yet there in the British Library, there are two men. One sees the way forward by ripping society apart, and the other sees that God has to be in control of our lives. And Charles Haddon Spurgeon was known as the people's preacher in Britain. He was able to speak to many, many people. Um, sometimes I think of him as an inconsistent Calvinist or an inconsistent evangelical, depending on how you look at it. But he did preach the gospel, and he was determined to see that people understood that a relationship with God was absolutely imperative.
And you know what? Charles Haddon Spurgeon, his writings are known around the whole world. We have his books in our homes. Uh, his daily reading book is a, is a, is a, has been a very real encouragement in my family, and we've appreciated it. Of course, he was a good Baptist. But how is it that two men studying together, breathing the same air, going to the same snack shop, having the same tea or the same coffee or whatever it was, and that's the difference that we see that came through. Karl Marx, the mind who wrote communism, and Charles Haddon Spurgeon, who was determined that God's word should be seen as preeminent in people's lives. In one, sin relentlessly advanced. We've got to do away with God. God is, the respons is responsible for all the problems that we see in society today. And Karl Marx was vigorous in that. He was determined to see that people were taken away from the idea that God had any worth and any value. The last words of Karl Marx were very interesting in some respects. He simply said this, last words are for fools who haven't said enough. Charles Haddon Spurgeon's last words were to speak of his Savior, and he said this, his service is life, peace, and joy. Oh, that you would enter on it at once. God help you to enlist under the banner of Jesus Christ. Now, in Mark's Gospel, we have the account of two men. And we're going to briefly compare these two men, as we have uh, already set the scene in that sense. The two men who also lived and worked closely at the same time. And perhaps we can guess who they are. It was John the Baptist and King Herod, Herod Antipas. Both men were swayed by the past as they worked out a future for themselves. Both were very close to the greatest moment of world history when Jesus lived, when Jesus died, and when Jesus rose again. Both of them were involved and had seen so much of the Lord Jesus Christ. And interestingly, they both basically believed in the same God and they were familiar with the law. They were both mere humans and thus we're going to either heaven or to hell. Both were even sometimes found under the same roof together, listening to each other. But that's where the similarity ended. So please, if you have a Bible, turn with me to uh, Mark's Gospel, uh, chapter 6, and we'll read verse 17 to 22. Mark chapter 6, verse 17 to 22. <clears throat> For Herod himself had sent and laid hold of John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. For he had married her. Because John had said to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Therefore Herodias held it against him, that's John, and wanted to kill him. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just and holy man, and he protected him. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. Then an opportune day came when Herod on his birthday gave a feast for the nobles and the high officials and the chief men of Galilee. And when Herodias' daughter herself came in and danced and pleased Herod and those who sat with him, the king said to the girl, ask me whatever you want and I will give it to you. He also swore to her, whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. So she went out and she said to her mother, what shall I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. Immediately she came in with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once 
the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry. Yet because of the oaths and because of those who sat with him, he did not want to refuse her. Immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded his head to be brought. And he went and beheaded him in prison, brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took away his corpse and laid it in a tomb. Wow, what a section of scripture. What a terrible section of scripture that we have read together. Herod Antipas was the ruler of two provinces, including Galilee. And of course, Galilee is one that we hear a great deal about when we uh, hear and read the scriptures concerning our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Herod Antipas was the eldest son of the infamous Herod who had ordered the killing of the baby boys. You'll remember that we so often hear about at Christmas time under the age of two in Bethlehem when the Lord Jesus Christ was born. Of course, the Herod that we are looking at this evening was not responsible for the sins of his father. We mustn't uh, think that for one moment. He didn't need to be responsible for anyone else's sin. He had enough of his own to deal with. Herod Antipas had married a beautiful princess and was a builder. He had built the city of Tiberias. And interesting, he enjoyed listening to the preaching of John the Baptist. And also interestingly, John the Baptist was prepared to denounce very clearly the sin in this king's life. He was quite prepared to go to the king and to say, what you're doing is wrong. What you're thinking is wrong. So these two men... Their paths keep crossing at various points in their lives. Perhaps Herod delighted to have the sins of others preached against. And I think there's something of that in all of us that we enjoy. But when it came to his own sin being spoken of, that was a different matter. You see, John called sin for what it is, sin. Of course, Herod wanted to keep his own sin intact without being criticized. And it's interesting to note that this is still the pattern of today. People love to point the finger at other people. And we see this more and more clearly and obviously in the way that social media has come along, for example. We're quite happy to condemn someone else very clearly and to point the finger. Maybe we've made up an entire story. It doesn't have to be true these days to be able to say something about somebody but people love to point the finger at others they love to gossip about other people and the reality is is that they themselves are as guilty of sin but they enjoy pointing the finger at others making the other person feel inadequate and so on The way that social media is used would suggest there's a lot of cowards around today. Some of them even call themselves Christians. But it's quite obvious that there's a problem there because the very act of what they're doing would not be possible if they knew and loved the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the scriptures make it very clear how it is that we talk to other people. The Bible is our guide for living. It's our instruction book. And God so graciously has explained that we're to be careful. We're to be slow to anger. We're to make sure that we don't gossip about other people. Where there's a problem, the Bible also tells us what to do. Matthew 18, 15 to 20. We go and talk to them privately. Jesus was not a gossip. He didn't go behind people's backs. He told it to them straight. As we saw last week, there was no small print when it came to our Lord Jesus Christ. He explained clearly what it is that's important. But now the trend today is to condemn people and to attempt to rubbish their testimony by going public. And of course, we have to realize that when we do not follow God's word and listen to him speaking because we're too busy speaking ourselves, that's where the problem so often lies. We haven't got time to listen to what it is that God would say to us. 
And then, of course, we place ourselves in grave danger. I think it was in one of those hymns, I like the line, I can't remember it exactly now, but it says something about a soul in danger comes to Christ. But the world doesn't understand that it's in danger. We've become so preoccupied with everything getting better and all the time it's getting worse and worse. I don't know if you ever have have comprehended um, the difference between a million, a billion and a trillion now, you might think to yourself, why would I be interested in worrying <laughs> the difference between those numbers? Because d- do we not realize what's going on in this world? It, it can't continue. When your country's debt is measured in 30 or 40 trillion dollars, it can't continue. There's huge problems ahead. And we need to be careful. You see, Herod had a huge problem. And it's this. He allowed sin to relentlessly progress in his life. It it just kept on happening. It's as though, however hard he tried, he couldn't stop it. Because as we've read the scriptures here, we can tell that he was concerned about what was being said about John. He actually... Dare I say it, loved John. Because he didn't want John to die. But he was so pathetically weak that because some girl danced and this woman he'd married who he should never have married simply said, I want that guy's head on a plate. Why? Because John the Baptist told the truth. He told the truth. So firstly this evening, I know that people just cannot stand to hear this. But we have to talk about it. And we spoke about it briefly this morning. And we speak about it last week and the week before that. In fact, I would suggest pretty well every week. Because sin is the thing that causes us the problem. You see, we allow sin to capture us. And we become imprisoned to it. And as that happens, we suddenly discover that our opportunities, the directions that we can take, are limited. And in a sense, we predict our own future because we have allowed sin to come in and we allow it to gradually but relentlessly take over in our lives. Oh yes, we try occasionally to stop it. We try occasionally to make a stand. We might even think to ourselves, I'm not going to do that again. And I'm not just talking about believers. We see this in the world today even. The Prime Minister of Great Britain keeps saying, I'm going to stop telling lies, and he can't help himself. And poor old Boris Johnson has always had a problem in this department because he has to exaggerate the situation that he finds himself in. What COVID party, he said. And there's pictures plastered all over social media and the front of the newspapers with him holding a wine bottle in one hand and a tin of beer in the other hand, and he still says he wasn't at the party. And that's the problem. Because sin relentlessly marches on in our lives. Every day, it just continues. It often starts very subtly in us. Little things. We grow comfortable with the little things. And we even begin to welcome them. Because we've conditioned ourselves to think that it's okay. And then to start to see that the sin takes root and we even begin to seek it. We look for it. And very soon we find that it's not a case of just looking for it, it's now controlling us. Herod was living a life of ease and luxury in a position of great honor. He was the king. Nothing stood in his way. He was able to have all he wanted, including all the pleasures that he wanted. The things that, again, he knew were not his by right. But he wanted them. Because sin relentlessly kept on bubbling up and burning away in his life. And however hard he tried, he couldn't back down. 
And on one occasion, he's on a trip to Rome and he became infatuated with his brother Philip, uh, his brother Philip uh, and, and Philip's wife, who was called Herodias. And no doubt she was a very attractive woman, probably great fun to be with. But when com- God had commanded, you shall not commit adultery, even for Herod, there was no exception. Even though he was the king, there was no exception. You see, each of us are born with a sinful nature. Again, we spoke about this this morning. And the truth is, we just can't help it. All children born to a father and to a mother since Adam have been born tainted with sin. Even that beautiful little baby, I don't think she's here this evening, Chloe, that we spoke of and we prayed for this morning. She's perfect. She's lovely. And yet we have to break the news to Aggie and to John that even Chloe is tainted with sin. And we pray for her, as we do for all of our children, that they would one day come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and that problem of sin can be dealt with. Everyone born into this world is born cut off from God because of sin, since their very nature is rebellion against God. That's what sin's all about. We simply rebel against God. Now notice that the Bible describes sin in different ways. We, we, we notice that, and we're very much aware of that. And in 1 Kings, incidentally, is everyone doing okay with their, uh, their daily Bible readings to see the Bible through in one year? You should have come to the end of Kings now, as we've got to the end of June. I see just a few faces indicating there might be a little bit of time to catch up. Well, um, keep working at it, okay? And uh, we'll, 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 we'll just keep that in mind. But you should have uh, been reading about Solomon and all this stuff. So in 1 Kings 8 verse 47, Solomon's prayer describes sin as having done wrong. Well, that's what we would understand it to be. Having committed wickedness, another word which we don't like to talk. I'm not wicked. <laughs> yeah, I am. Sin can have the meaning of missing the mark. In fact, it means if you've, if you've got a bow and arrow. Now, imagine me with a bow and arrow. I <laughs> can't believe Randy said that you spent $500 on ammunition at the beginning of the service, but <laughs> we'll talk about it afterwards. <laughs> but it can mean missing the mark. So we know what the mark is. We see the bullseye in the middle, and we shoot the arrow, and it's way over there somewhere. You know, it's off-piste. It's in the woods. It's gone. Because however hard we tried to hit the mark, we just cannot do it. Sin can mean disobeying or deliberately failing to conform to the standard that God has set in his word. Sin in the Old Testament terms is the refusal to obey God's law, which summarizes his requirements for mankind. And we are guilty of this. I know we don't like to talk about it. But it's the truth. And deep down, every single one of us here this evening knows that it's the truth. And we look at our lives and we're so sorry. And we've seen the problems that we've caused other people. Because we've allowed sin to relentlessly march on in our hearts and in our lives. And Herod did exactly that. There's evidence that he didn't want to, but he did. He just let it go. We tell lies. In fact, we love to tell lies. We covet. We want things that other people have. We murder as we hate other people. Remember that the New Testament emphasizes certain of the Old Testament laws. And on murder it says in 1 John 3 verse 15, whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Can I ask you, can the scriptures be any clearer? Is, is there anything that you don't understand? Has God made it too complicated? If you hate someone, you've murdered them. 
Because in your heart, that's the attitude that you have. Each of us is born tainted with sin. And as soon as we as individuals tolerate sin, perhaps specific sin, there is always trouble. In exactly the same way that certain minor diseases, if they're not treated, they eventually become debilitating and the whole body is affected if they are not treated. And so sin spoils every part of our being. If you're prepared to tolerate sin. If you're prepared to tolerate sin, friends, do you know what you're doing? You're buying a one-way ticket to disaster. Because it will always come back. It will always hurt you. And sin took hold of Herod's life. And he took hold of Herodias for his own. He wanted her. And because he wanted her, he took her. You see, sin first of all captures the person. And then the very next thing it does is kills the conscience. Okay, so it begins by capturing us, and then it kills the conscience. What's our conscience? I think it was Rachel who spoke about that this morning, didn't she, to the children. And it's the fact that we know it's wrong, but we smooth over it, and eventually what's wrong becomes right. The Greeks define conscience as the pain you feel when you do something wrong. Well, I don't think we could disagree with the Greeks on that one. The pain you feel when you do wrong. Someone once said that conscience is God's spy and man's overseer. But we all know that it is possible to silence our own conscience. Many of us have become experts at it. Friends, we do this all the time. That is how we say the things that we do about other people, the hurtful comments that we make. That is how we continue to do the sin that we're involved in. The things that we know we shouldn't be doing. That is how we demonstrate hate towards other people. And in accordance to God's word, murder people. So our conscience is not always an accurate guide to proper behavior because it's been seared, it's been hardened. It's lost its sensitivity. No longer does it guide us. And Herod chose sin rather than a clear conscience. There was no way that Herod's adultery was ever going to be right and it was left to John the Baptist to plainly say, this is wrong. What did the sincere conscience of King Herod do? He locked John up in prison. The concept there, out of sight, out of mind. We love that one, don't we? Out of sight, out of mind. If I don't see it, it won't worry me. Sometimes have this same attitude towards our children, out of sight, out of mind. But then you think to yourself, what are they doing? You know. You see, it didn't solve the problem. Because sin continues to evade deep down inside us. John just like the man who on reading that smoking causes lung cancer gave up reading, John straightforwardly reproved Herod. But the ruler knew what he had wanted to do. And his new wife immediately had it in for John. And in her heart, 
she was not going to rest until he was killed, until he was murdered. So not only did she hate him in her mind and in her heart, but she wanted his head on a plate. And that's exactly what she got. Because that's what her determination was. You see, if we continue in sin and wrongdoing, it is possible to so harden our hearts that our awareness of sin no longer hurts us at all in anything that we do. And that was the case with Herodias. Even though the sin itself damages our souls for all eternity, we still relentlessly allow it to drive us forward. So John, who has repented of his sin, John the Baptist, who has repented of sin, and so is innocent in the eyes of God because that's what our repentance does. It's, it's this incredible mystery that we cannot understand. But in the eyes of God, God doesn't, God doesn't see the sin. How is this possible? It's possible because of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who loved us and dealt with the issue of sin. And it now means that we can hold our heads up high and say that in front of God, I'm dressed in white robes. The sin has been dealt with because my Savior has dealt with it for me. And we're innocent in the eyes of God. But John is now in prison. While guilty Herod continues to walk around free and in great luxury at that. And this takes us to our third observation about sin. It seeks out and joins with evil companions. I need to just clarify this very, very clearly. First of all, I just want to let some people here know that this message was written before some events that I heard of this week. So that's clarified that. We've cleared the air on that one, okay? This was written Monday morning. Early, between 5 a.m. and 9 a.m. to be precise. Let me say it again. Sin seeks out and joins with evil companions. That, that's the way it works. You see, those who do wrong very quickly seek like-minded companions. We like to be with the people who think as we're thinking. Or maybe we want to try and pretend that we're thinking like they are, so we're prepared to join them. To support them and to strengthen them and to try and to justify their actions. And at this point we could so easily say, look at social media again. Look at the way that people are attracted to each other. There's the saying in English, and I'm sure it's the same in Canadian, that birds of a feather stick together. Is that correct? Because that's what we want to do. And that's why it's so important that we as believers stick together because our strength is in the fact that we support each other, that we help Carolyn when she's not well, that we pray for baby Chloe when she has been in hospital, that we're concerned for Danica because we love her, because we're a family. Birds of a feather stick together, and as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ and his word, we also stick together. Our strength is in our unity. Our Lord Jesus made this very clear when he was praying with his heavenly Father, which was recorded for us in John 17. And he says, Father, I pray that they would be one as we are one. One God. But Herod, Herod aligned himself with a vengeful woman. who plotted with other evil people to have John silenced. But Herod was so weak that he allowed himself to align himself with her. And eventually, Herodias' opportunity arises. A party. Now, I have to say that festivities in and of themselves are not wrong. But they can very quickly become wrong. They can lead to rising of passion and a lowering of inhibitions. Dancing can be spiritual. How do I know this? Because the Bible says so. 
once remember having a conversation with, uh, with Harleen here about dancing and the Baptist church. Harleen's looking concerned at this particular moment. I was brought up to understand that dancing was something we never get involved in. And whilst I say that we see in the scriptures that it can be spiritual, we also have to say, and it's very fair to say this, that dancing is often very sensual. And it is true to say that virtually every time dancing is mentioned in the Bible, someone falls into sin or fell into sin. Now we come back to the account here. Very important. Herodias has evil intent. She has had this from the moment John said, you can't marry this woman. In fact, I would say that this evilness had taken over in her life. It was the thing that she woke up thinking about. It was the thing that she thought about all through the day. But you know what was even worse? She taught her daughter to do wicked things and to think evil as well. And so I remind us all, what are we teaching our children? When we hate someone so much that we lie about them or we trash them on social media, what are we teaching our children? Do you know what we're teaching them? We're teaching them to hate people. And that is a serious and a sinful thing to do. Now, Herod was a weak man. We understand that. If he'd had any backbone, none of this would have happened. He'd already broken the seventh commandment, and so it would not be long before Herod would break the sixth commandment. Why? Because he allowed the relentless progression of sin in his life. He went from this position to this position to this position, and it keeps pushing him. And that's the picture that we see so often in our lives. And little by little, it was eating away at him and it was relentlessly dragging him to the bottom of the pile. And Salome comes along, Herodias' daughter, and she danced and we're told to please the king. She used her body to sensually stir Herod. She used sex to infatuate the king and his guests and all those who were there. And so carried away was Herod in seeing this young woman dancing provocatively that he says to the girl in front of all those people around him, whatever you ask, I'll give it to you. And then he goes on and says, I'll give it to you up to half my kingdom. Well, at least he wasn't prepared to give away the whole kingdom. And Salome goes back to her mother, who is also very pleased with her daughter's performance. How sad. And asks her mother, what should I ask for? And we know the answer terrible as it is ask for John's head on a plate that's the evil that had occurred in Herodias and Salome could have had half the kingdom half of all that Herod had half of his wealth but sin is not rational have you noticed that and so she settles for the head of John the Baptist on a plate. Evil companions encourage evil among themselves. I know it's hard to hear that. So we need to be very careful who we have as our friends. Now, sin condemns its victims. Basically, Herod's achievements are all forgotten. He built the city of Tiberias all for God. Did anyone know that he built the city called Tiberias? Of course not. All the, the achievements are forgotten. 
except for one day of passion, for one day of excess and crime and evil. And it's that that remained in the memories of all, including himself. His guilty conscience, like a hibernating bear, just waiting for the warmth of springtime to end its slumber, awaited its chance to awaken and accuse. Herod may have got rid of John the Baptist, but John's voice and all the times that he had sat and he had listened to John preach, all he hears is John's words ringing in his head. Thundering, if you like, in his mind. And later on, hearing of the work and the words of the Lord Jesus, who was still ministering, Herod said this, fascinating, because it tells us exactly what he was thinking about at all times. He says this, when he hears about Jesus, he said, This is John, whom I beheaded. He's been raised from the dead. That's what his heart was hoping to have been the case. But it tells us what was going on, the turmoil that was happening, because sin will continue even though you've fallen for it. He was haunted, not by John, but by his own guilt. You see, indelibly written on all of our hearts, in our inner beings, we believe that this life is just not the end. I heard of uh, an atheistic lawyer this is, uh, some time ago back in the UK on the radio, a very pompous individual, Englishman can tend to sound that way, so I do apologize. <laughs> and he arrogantly said on the radio, he said, I've got some questions I'd love to ask God. And I thought, oh, really? <laughs> I don't believe there's a God, but I'd love to ask him some questions. How could he say that when he claimed not to believe in God? Friends, you may not understand this, and perhaps you don't even want to understand this, but it was sin, including your sin, that crucified the Lord Jesus Christ. Herod was gradually and relentlessly consumed by sin, and he became totally unrepentant. And then we come to the eve of the crucifixion itself, and Jesus, where is he sent? He's sent to see Herod. Can you imagine? Herod was perhaps curious, eager to meet him. Reports of all that uh, the Lord Jesus Christ had done would have reached the palace. Herod would have heard about the miracles. And now the Christ, this prisoner, has been sent to stand before Herod and to be tried. Perhaps Herod wanted to see a miracle for himself. Perhaps that's one reason why he wanted Jesus to be there or allowed Jesus to come. Perhaps he was delighted for what was taking place. And Herod turns to the Lord Jesus to examine him. But Jesus spoke volumes how? He didn't say a word. Now what do you think Herod heard? As Jesus, the man that he's already said, this is John. What do you think he heard? He heard John speaking to him in his head, in his mind. Jesus was silent so that the words of John the Baptist could be heard. He who had said of Jesus, I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. John 1 verse 34. But friends, please remember that we must be careful not to try to silence the voice of God. Back in Genesis 6 and verse 3, the Spirit of God will not strive with men forever. Have you ever considered that word, that verse before? The Spirit of God will not strive with men forever. Our Lord Jesus told it how it was. 
As we've said before, he had no small print to read. And in Luke 13, 32, our Lord describes Herod as that fox. And for this sly, sinister man, there was now no escape from his sinful ways. As our Lord's eyes penetrated Herod's confident facade, the proud ruler grew distinctly uncomfortable. It was getting hot round his collar. And then his real self and his evil nature came to the forefront. We read, then Herod, with his men of war, treated him, that's Jesus, with contempt. And they mocked him. And they arrayed him in a gorgeous grove and sent him back to Pilate. Herod was prepared to even befriend his archenemy Pilate as they united in the common cause of rejecting the God who had made them. You see Herod and Pilate together sent our Lord Jesus Christ to the cross. Two weak sinners condemned the Creator and the Savior but he went to the cross willingly to die and to suffer for us. And herein, friends, lies our hope. When Jesus Christ was crucified, it was the fulfillment of God's plan. This wasn't something that was being pushed by evil men. God knew it. It was planned. Jesus laid down his life. It wasn't taken from him. And whilst Herod and Pilate thought they were in control, they did. They were not. God was. You see, this is the good news. Jesus died for your sin. God's Son, who had no sin, 1 Peter 2, verse 24, bore our sins in his own body on the tree. Let me say that again. Jesus bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness. Because Jesus has died and risen again, he reverses the relentless progression of sin. Aren't you grateful? Aren't you thankful? Jesus confronts sinners with two alternatives. To stay in their sin and be lost eternally. Or to leave their sin and have life everlasting. Those who trust in Jesus Christ find that he instantly changes our consciousness. And we will find that in Jesus our consciences will bring us straight back to God's word and the absolute standard of right and wrong because that's what the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit does for us. And guess what? When you come to faith in Jesus... Your friends and your acquaintances will change. Now, some of you might be afraid. I don't want to come to Jesus if I'm going to lose my friends. But it's the most wonderful thing that can happen to you. Because all of a sudden, you now see the evil that there is in the world. And no longer are you happy to be aligned with that evil. You suddenly see that you need to have that separation. You'll lose some friends because they're dominated by hate and evil. They may not say it to you. You might not think it. You might even think everything you can to try and stop from thinking that as being the case. But they are in many cases. And the good news is that you'll gain others who will love you and care for you. Who will love you and care for you who will love you and care for you, and they'll continue to keep on loving and caring for you because that's what the family of God is all about.
They'll love you and they'll care for you. You will find that you no longer want to visit some of the places that you once visited. And this will include some of the websites that you've grown very familiar with. The social media that you used to follow. Suddenly all of that is of no interest to you anymore. Because you've met with Jesus and Jesus has dealt with your sin. Because he's taken it upon himself. And he loves you. And he loves you. And he continues to love you. And he will continue to love you through everything. Friends, because Jesus Christ has died a sinner, you and me, is no longer inevitably lost forever. Christ in his utter love clears the culprit, the guilt, and offers salvation. John 3 verse 17 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. What's it going to be for you? It's not just me trying to be passionate this evening in presenting this. This is God's word. And you know it is. And you know it's true. And you know what we've spoken about is absolutely vital. And so the choice is yours. You can carry on living in the same way, allowing sin to relentlessly push you over the edge. I have fear sometimes about falling off the edge of this. It's much higher than the previous one was. But that's what it's doing to you. And you can let it push you. Or you can break it. By repenting of your sin, by turning to God, by seeking Him, by calling to Him. And He pours out His love, His compassion, but above all, His mercy to you. And He saves you. Friend, accept the opportunity that Jesus Christ has provided by turning from the relentlessness of the sin in your life and place your trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Follow his commands and be the person that God wants you to be in Jesus. And it will be the very, very greatest and most wonderful experience that you can ever have in your heart and life. Why did Jesus come into this world? We spoke about it this morning. Let's shout it out together. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And Paul said, just to make sure everyone understood, of which I am the chief. That's why Jesus came. To save sinners. Call out to him now. He hears you. He loves you. And he wants...